0: You can have a seat. Well, good morning, Docs of Church. My name is David, one of the guys on staff. If you got a Bible, pull it out. We are in Philippians 4. This is the last kind of chapter in this book. And if you've been with us for a little bit or watched online and kind of came for the first time or something, we're, we're ending this kind of series we've been going through in the book of Philippians, which is the Apostle Paul writing to this This church in in philippi and this is how it it ends i I don't know if you guys feel this way about philippians but i i love this book and um i actually i love the way it ends and maybe you'll maybe you'll feel that way about it too um this is how it starts verse 10 chapter 4 verse 10 he says i rejoiced in the lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me for you indeed concerned for me, but you, you had no opportunity. Now, just to remind us kind of what, what he's talking about here. Paul, right, he's in prison. He's kind of, this is like essentially a support letter back to this church in Philippi of saying, hey, man, you've like been with me through the thick and thin. Thank you. And I, I know you love me, but you didn't have the opportunity to kind of express that. But then you sent Epaphroditus with this like basic gift of like money and resources to me. And so that's what he's talking about. He's saying, man, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Then look what he says next. He says, not that I'm speaking, though, of being in need. Like, I want to I qualify this. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and, and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice or a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever amen and then this last little line just says hey greet everyone greet every saint in Christ Jesus the, the brothers who are with me greet you all the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit and that's the end of the letter. And, and and Philippians, you know, they this church, this group of Christians, he's they've really been with Paul as like this partner in ministry for years, right? They're, they're like financial partners with him as he's trying to take the gospel. It's, it's been to Philippi. He took it there in Acts 16. You can read about that story. And, and so he preached the gospel there in Philippi. People came to know Jesus. There's a church started. And then Paul took this gospel to the next place, to the next place, the next place. And this group of Christians was saying, hey, it's awesome. There's a church here. We love this. Like we've, we know Jesus now. It's changed our lives. This has to get everywhere, and so we are going to help send you, Paul, to plant more churches, and we're going to actually sacrifice and send resources to make that happen. It's a support letter. That's what Philippians is. It's pretty cool. It's like the best support letter that's ever been written, for sure, um, except maybe Romans. That's also a support letter. But anyway, it's this world letter thanking them, and he's saying, Han, You were there for me. You were, you were kind to me. You helped me. Thank you. But in the middle of this kind of ending, there's something he says that I can't stop thinking about. Okay, and I, I'm gonna. I hope it bugs you the way it bugged me. Verse 10. He starts. He says, "Okay, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've had, you've revived your concern for me." Like I know you were always concerned, but I couldn't like tangibly feel it. because There was this distance geographically. Man, you sent Epaphroditus. All this stuff is awesome. You were indeed concerned, but had no opportunity. Look at verse 11. Not that I am speaking. Of being in need, for I have learned, in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. He's like this is this this is not everyone knows this. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me i've been thinking about this all week um like it's genuinely so i can't get out of my head and and the thing that's struck me the most is he says i know how to be brought low do you do you know how to be brought low like i think we we might know the second one. i know how to abound but it's interesting he says i know how to do both i know how to abound and i know how to be brought low and the reason is because he's learned the secret of contentment he's saying i know how to have hunger or plenty both these things. And it's interesting. I'm, so on social media lately, there's, this, there's these things that are going around. It's like the would you, would you rathers, right? And I don't know if this is just like my social media, everyone's, but it's like, would you rather? And it, it's basically like holding up two kind of things. And like the goal of it is basically, you think this one is right, but actually this one's right, right? And so like some of them will be like, hey, would you rather have, uh, a million dollars or a million followers, right? And most people would be like, a million dollars. And then they're like, no, you should have a million followers, right? Cause you can make more money off that. And this is like, in our like influencer culture, right? This is like money or followers, nothing else in life, right? Um, you know, it's like, would you rather have X amount of money now or X amount of money later? And it's basically just trying to teach people like, hey, what is actually most valuable in this world's economy? And the question I've been thinking about, this would you rather is, is this, would you rather be given uh, all the things that you want like you snap your fingers and just instantly you, you have all the things you want the things that you think uh, will be like prosper you you just get those in a moment or would you rather be content with exactly what you have right now which one and it's just hypothetical. like a genie comes out or maybe like not a genie like god <laughs> he comes out and he's like hey i can do whatever i want for you and like which one do you want you know like you know the things that you think will make you happy, or do you want to just be content with what you have? And it's an interesting question. And honestly, if you came to me like uh, in an average week, probably some days I'd say this one, some days I'd say the other. And it's not because some days another one answer is right and another answer is right on another day. It's actually just because I'm kind of dumb, right? And there's certain days where I'm wise and thinking correctly and some days where I'm not. And maybe you have this thing in you that I have in me where I actually think that I would be content if I just had a little bit more. Like I think that, and and there's like a part of me that really believes that. If I could just have a little more approval, then I'd be happy. If I could just have a little more money or or whatever it is, like it could be anything, but if I just had a little more of this thing, then I would really be able to be happy. Or, Or maybe we'd say it like this, if I just had more, then I wouldn't feel like I need more. Um. And I think this isn't just something that's in me. I think this is actually the message of our culture, right? Basically, more things equals happiness. And the reason I think it's the message of our culture isn't because I've done all this like, deep cultural analysis and kind of dived into the psychology of what we're thinking. It's because it's literally printed on the side of our Amazon Prime packages, okay? Like, I just got one of these the other day, and it literally just said this. It said, caution, contents may—this is so dumb— Caution, contents may cause happiness. <laughs> it's like on the side of your Amazon Prime thing. And right, and it's like kind of true, right? Like Amazon Prime is like this new drug. Like you click this button, it's like, and they've made it so easy. It's like going to the store is like this unbelievable burden, right? We would never do that anymore. Now you just like pull your phone, you click order. You don't even need to enter in credit card. They already have that. They know your address. You're like, boom. And then we're at Madison, Wisconsin. This is some like third world country, right? Like we get it next day. You kidding me? Two day Amazon Prime. eh, One day for Madison. Am I right? And this is, you know, and the problem with with Amazon Prime for, for my family is like, I have this thing, and this is so dumb. I don't really order that much stuff on Amazon, but every time a package comes, I still run outside with hope that it'll have my name on it like so I run outside I'm like oh my gosh is this for me even though like I, I didn't order anything like obviously it's not mine it always just says like Steffi Livingston and I have to like bring it in and, and Steffi you know has something really cool that she's she's bought no it's just normally just like household stuff but anyway you still feel good right I still got something and you know it, it's never for me um So anyway, that's some of my discontentment coming out on stage. But anyway, this this, this thing happens right where we have discontentment and the world basically says, hey, here's what you do with it. Here's what you do. You just need to get more. Like you feel kind of empty. You feel like you feel hungry, thirsty for something. What you need is you need more of something. But the problem is that even when our lives are full, and we can be honest, like our lives are actually pretty full in a lot of categories. We still never feel like we're full. But right, What happens is like the goalposts move, right? And so if you're like, man, I need a relationship with someone and then you get that relationship and then all of a sudden you're like, ah, I need someone else. This person kind of stinks, you know, like I need someone else. Or you're like, I need uh, this much money in my 401k to feel secure and I'm going to be able to retire in this way. And then, you know, you actually get that much. You're like in your 40s, 50s, you're like, I actually have what I thought I needed to feel comfortable. And all of a sudden you realize that you actually don't feel comfortable. You actually need more to feel secure. And you see what actually happens is no matter how much abundant, how abundant the resources around us might be, what we experience to be true is that no matter how abundant things might be, we still feel like there's scarcity. And the reason is because we actually live in a world of scarcity, we live in a world of scarcity. It's like the psychological phenomenon that's like literally happening in our country today. We live in America, one of the most prosperous, like overflowing, abundant, like successful nations that has ever existed on planet Earth. Like we, I mean the average person in here, you have way more than any king ever did like 150 years ago. It's it's unbelievable. And yet we're like the most anxious, worried people ever. <laughs> like we're super anxious, we're stressed out all the time and we're so worried about the future, we're worried about today and tomorrow. Even though we have more than anyone else, and psychologists are basically trying to figure out like, what is going on. They call it the scarcity mentality, and it's essentially everywhere taking over our lives. Um, but what's interesting is the Bible tells us why. Like the story of the Bible starts by talking about why this is true that we feel this way. And, you know, it starts in the Garden of Eden, right? And if you've been coming to church for a little bit, you've been coming to you maybe you've heard us kind of talk about the beginning of the story of the Bible. and, And it starts where humanity is created to be in this garden of God with him in his presence. But it's a garden of abundance, like there's trees everywhere and there's like you know there's bacon trees hamburger trees and that's that's not actually in the original Hebrew but that's my idea of the place right you have total abundance everywhere whatever you want it's just there at the taking you don't have to build or take or create you just have it's a place of provision and safety and peace but when sin enters the world, you see what happens is our story changes, right? We're, we're pushed out of the presence of God. We choose to run from him, to rebel from him. And in that rebellion, what we lose is we lose the provision of God and we lose the Garden of Eden. We're actually forced out of this place of safety and provision and abundance and we're sent into this place the Bible just describes like a wilderness. It's like a place that's inhospitable for humans. It, it's a place of scarcity, Right, and so instead of abundance, the very next chapter in the Bible, Genesis 3, it says that now the earth is like this place of thorns and thistles instead of just like garden and fruit. And, and the things we need, they actually now come by the sweat of our brow, like hard work and toil is going to be necessary to get the things that we need. And so what happens is we now live in this world of scarcity. And the question is, how is it possible to be content to feel like you have enough when this is actually the world we live in? And it's, it's a world that's not simple in its complexity. There's actually a bunch of different ways that it is scarce. The first one's kind of obvious. It's like scarcity of material needs. You know, a lot of us feel that and the Bible talks about that. Like we're not in a garden anymore right now. We're in a wilderness and we have to provide for ourselves now. This is like the felt need of humanity. Is, is we're not, Things are not just like hanging on trees for us anymore. And what's interesting is even when we have what we need today, Like, you might go home and you might feel like you have a full fridge. You're like, I've got enough to eat today. Because we live in this world of scarcity of material resources, we feel this anxiety about the future. And so we're not content to have enough today. We need to have enough for forever. And that doesn't even feel like enough, right? And so we're worried about the future, and we have this tremendous anxiety of material needs. But we also have scarcity of relationship. And this is interesting, because when sin entered into the world, we actually were cut off from the primary relationship that we were supposed to have with our creator. And so what that means is to now live in this kind of wilderness world, we actually operate in a place of relational scarcity. And and this is actually really sad because it means that no matter how close you get to people, right, whether you have this like Hollywood romance that's like, this is amazing, this is my soulmate, or you have this like, you know, like you're living the TV show Friends, you just have these people around you all the time, you see them all the time, this is your tribe, You, you have this There's still this thing in us that no matter how like relationally close we are to other people, we still feel like alone and we still feel like super isolated. And and honestly, this is like one of the, like something can be some of the hardest parts of our lives is when you actually have this like really close intimacy with another person whether it's like a partner a spouse or like a friend and and somehow in the middle of that you actually can still feel like in those moments that are supposed to feel the most healing and whole to you sometimes you actually still feel like so empty and hollow even though you're experiencing what you think is supposed to satisfy you and so It's actually really sad because we feel isolated and alone. Instead of just having this kind of abundant relationship that we can actually love others out of and overflow of, what ends up happening is we run into the world of this scarcity mentality and every other person or thing we try to get to fill this relational void we have, we we feel tremendous isolation. But, But it's also, it's a scarcity of purpose as well. You see, when sent into the world, we we're actually cut off from like our divine meaning and purpose of our lives. Because human beings, as the Bible describes us, we're made to know God and we're made to actually exist in his like close proximity and provision. And then what we're supposed to do is basically like in that close proximity to him and being provided for by him, we're supposed to like reflect out his goodness into the rest of the world as his image bearers. But we're now cut off from this purpose. And because of that, it means that we actually don't feel valuable and worthy within ourselves. When we naturally wake up in the morning, we actually are filled with this like massive insecurity when it comes to our worth and value. And and the only way we can really figure out how to solve that is to basically step out into the world and try desperately to do something or become something that we think has enough value to kind of validate our existence. We feel like we have to make a name for ourselves. And oftentimes that's not going well we look across the room and we're like, well that person's valuable and I'm and I'm not cuz they're in a different place than I am. And so it's really hard because to be content, like this word just to be content is to feel and not just feel but to know that you have enough. It's to feel that deeply inside of you, I have enough. And it's more than just to have enough, but it's to feel that you are enough. But in a world of scarcity and in a world of ups and downs, like how is contentment, true contentment, possible for us? And the answer of this world is we simply need to get more. Right? We're, We're told that the answer is to get more. And if you have more, then you will have enough. But the problem is it's not true. Right? And this is like the part in the sermon where you pull out some quote from some like famous person who like has it all. And then they're at the top of the mountain and they look down at us and say, hey, like the answer you're looking for isn't up here. You know, and that's exactly what I have. Okay. So uh, this is actually, actually funny. Jim, Jim Carrey, he, he's like riffing on this idea because it's sort of like, we, we kind of all know this is true, but it's part of the human condition. So we just like pretend like it's normal. But he's, he's riffing on this at, at uh, the Golden Globes one year. And they introduce him as like, oh, he's going to come up and announce this award. It's Jim Carrey, like two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. And he gets up on stage and he's like, that's right, I am. Two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. And he's like, "I listen, my, my life is very important. You know, when I go to sleep, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I go to sleep as two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. You know, and everyone's like laughing, haha. And he's like, and when I dream, I don't just dream the dreams of every old guy I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey, right? And everyone's like laughing about this, and he's like, and then if that happened, then I would be enough, right? He says, it would finally be true. I'd finally be enough, and I could stop this terrible search for what I know won't ultimately fulfill me, right? And the whole room is laughing because they're like, This is so true. Like, this is all of our lives. Like, we're running after this thing we know won't fulfill us, but it's the only path we seem to have. And you know what's interesting? In another interview, he says this. He says, I think that everybody, I think that everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. J.D. Rockefeller, you know, this is like a classic quote, but it's so perfect for this. It, you know, he, they asked him. He, he was like the richest guy in in the world. You know, he had like one percent of the entire wealth of the country it was all his, and they just said, "How much money is enough?" And he says, "Just a little bit more." You know, and and so it's interesting. The problem, right? It's not an external problem. It's internal, because no matter where you are on the spectrum, it's always a little more. And You know, Jeff Bezos has more money than anyone could ever spend. Like, literally, it seems like he couldn't even spend all his money if he tried. He makes $140,000 a minute. The dude makes $205 million a day. Like, that's his daily wage. Whether he goes to work or not, significant. Like, you can't even spend that kind of money. Like, this is a dude who literally has so much money, but you know that what he probably still does every day is he probably still checks the Amazon stock price. Like, you know he does. Like, you know at some point in the day, like he's in a bathtub of money. And we're not talking like dollar bills, like single dollar bills, like a poor, like, you know, cheap rap video. We're talking like, he's got Benjamin. He's in this whole bathtub of money. And you know that at some point, he's still pulling out his phone and just trying to make sure, like, did I still make more today? You see, the problem, it's not external, it's internal. And the problem with living in a world of scarcity is that even... When we have more than we need, it's still not enough. And the reason the Bible tells us is because the things that we manage to fill our lives with, they end up not being the thing we actually are looking for. It's like if you were stuck in the desert, and uh it's like you're stuck in the desert and then you win somehow, like a lifetime supply of LaCroix, okay? <laughs> By the way, if I had an enemy, this is exactly what I would do to help them out in the desert, right? Like you just, they're there, they're like, I'm so thirsty, I need refreshment, and you just back up a whole semi-truck of LaCroix, and you dump that next to the dude. It'd be the cruelest thing imaginable, right? Because this drink promises to be both refreshing and quenching of your thirst, and it fails to do neither of these two things at all. Am I right? Right? I'm right. Someone in the back of the crowd said amen during first service, all right? So, like, I don't know if this is like LaCroix crowd or whatever, but it's just like this tease thing, right? It's like it says it's supposed to taste like lemon, but then you actually take it in and it's like this bubbly tease. It's like a kiss, but it's a kiss from someone you don't like. Or it's like you're at the party and you get the girl's number and you put it in your pocket and the next day you pull it out and you can't read the handwriting, right? It's like so much promise, so little reward. And you think, okay, this tastes terrible, but somehow at least it will satisfy my thirst. And somehow, and I don't even know how this is possible, but LaCroix, like despite everything it should do, despite all science and rationality, the more you drink, the more thirsty you feel. Am I alone in that? Like I keep drinking this stuff and I don't know why. I don't like it, but it's always in my fridge and I keep doing this and I need help. And (laughs) I really need help. See, please. Someone help me. I cannot figure out why I keep drinking this stuff. I hate it so much, but I still go to it. And that's like our lives, okay? Like our lives are like that. Like we've got stuff that we know does not satisfy us, and we don't even like it, but it's like it's the only thing in the fridge. And so we just keep drinking this stuff, and it doesn't work. And, you know, the reason is because the, the, the whole, like the gap... Between us and our contentment, it, it's not—it's not, it's not a, a gap in our bank account. It's—it's it's not a gap in our friend group or our spouse. It's—it's it's a void that's in us. You know, and, and it's really interesting because Philippians four thirteen is um, one of the most used verses in the Bible. Right? I can—I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But it's—it's it's also one of the most misused verses in the whole Bible. So this we see this plastered paces right. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And and there's this idea we have that what this verse is talking about is it's saying, man, God is with us and may he gives us power and we can kind of do anything we really set our minds to, not because we're strong, but because God is with us and he's empowering us to do it, right? And so you have this in sports locker rooms, you have this like in bathroom mirror pump up speeches before you're gonna give your big presentation at work, right? And the idea is because God is in us and his power is in us. We can achieve the things we set out to do, even if they seem insurmountable. But this is actually, <laughs> this is not at all what this verse is about. Um, it's not at all the context of it. it. He is talking about strength from God that is in him, but it's not a strength to win and receive abundance. He says it's actually an internal strength that comes through Christ, to be able to receive both scarcity and plenty in the exact same way. That's what what he's talking about, right? It's It's the strength to actually be unmoved and unfazed in your life, either by a massive blessing and kind of huge harvest of resources or this like huge famine and suffering of loss. And so he's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, it's not an attempt to win the game and give God glory. It's actually an attempt to be so secure in Christ, to be so full and so complete in Him and the relationship with Him that either win or lose, either brought low or brought high, your life doesn't really change at all. That's the strength he's talking about. And it's interesting, my dad, my dad, so he is in his 60s and he's one of these kind of stories at the beginning of COVID where he has had a pretty successful career he's been working at Caterpillar for a long time and the beginning of the pandemic they just let a ton of people go right to kind of meet kind of end year kind of goals and so my dad got canned right at the beginning of the pandemic and he's had a really successful career but it's really specific at this age of his life right and so he's trying to figure out how do I get a new job how do I figure this out and can't find a new job for the longest time right like normal story in our country right now. And so eventually what he does is he starts this company, and I'm kind of following him in this business. I'm not going to bore you with what the business is. It's just selling something that's very monotonous but has value in the world. Okay, but he has this business. He's in sales, and we've been talking about this, and and his, his, like, uh, the possibilities of where his life will go in this business are uh, this. Either he is going to, like, hit it big, and genuinely become extremely wealthy to the point that I won't even have to worry about finances at all. Our church plan's going to be fine, right? It'd be great. Uh, or he is going to, like, literally lose everything, and he's going to live in my basement, right? And he's—and there's no possibility in between. It's, like, one or the other with the way this business model works. And uh, it's just funny. It's, like, sounds like a lot of startups, right? Anyway, um, and I'm talking to him about this, you know, and uh, I'm trying to, like, dream with him because I'm, like, there's, like, real— possibilities of this. The, the, the people he's, he's networking with and talking with right now about potentially selling this product to are like Amazon, like UPS, like these massive companies that like one sale would be like a life-changing financial like ramifications, right? And so I'm talking with him. I'm, I want updates. I'm like, how's it going? Like, sold anything yet? Yeah, what's going on? Like, do I have an inheritance? What's going on? And uh, I'm talking to him, about this and uh you know i'm trying to get him excited i'm like man what would you do because this is actually really on your doorstep of being an incredibly wealthy person if this goes well and it seems like it probably could go well and i get him to dream like what, what would you do like, what would you what would you buy man what would be like the first thing you'd buy what would you do and and i cannot get this dude to be excited at all about this i'm like you, you're potentially gonna be a millionaire like that isn't that cool and he's like yeah no, it's it's cool and You know, and I'm like, what's your long-term goal for this? And he's like, well, I think what I would do is I think I'd make just enough to kind of get to a place where where we could have a a retirement and not like, you know, be a burden to you guys. And I think I'd quit and sell the company and just move on. And I'm like, well, but you could just do it for a couple more years and make a ton of money. He's like, yeah, probably. I I don't know. I don't want to do that. And I'm like, okay. And then the other side of this is like, okay, well, the other side is if it doesn't go well, you you like don't have enough money in your retirement. That's why you had to build this business, start a new job, right? And so you are like potentially gonna end. Like super poor in your life. Even though you've worked a whole life and been really successful in business, you're gonna end up in a place that's that's not great because of how the stock market and everything is done in your financial 401k. Are you not worried about that? And you're just like, I don't know, that would be yeah, it'd be a bummer. Like, I don't wanna live in your basement, but you know, I will. And I'm like, I don't know if <laughs> I get you will, but like I mean I, I guess we will have you too. But I, the ant- basements aren't very big in Ann Arbor, so good luck with that. And so we're talking about this, you know. And I just I can't I can't get him to be like so excited and just dream these huge dreams, and I can't get him to be anxious. And I texted him about this yesterday, and I was saying, hey, Dad. I just texted him. I said, hey, Dad, as we talked about your business, it, it doesn't seem that you have that much excitement about the potential of making it big in this thing. And it also doesn't seem like you are that nervous or anxious about it not working out at all in the end. Both sides seem to not faze you that much at all. Why do you think that is? And this is how he responded, two sentences. A complete trust in the sovereignty of God and for his care for me. And I remember, I'm getting that text back, and I, I knew he was going to say something like this. because This is like my dad's life. And I remember thinking, man, you could have all of the wealth of Jeff Bezos. You could own all the Amazon stock. You could own all the Bitcoin in the world. You could have all of the followers imaginable who are just heaping praise and approval on you for who you are. And it would be nothing compared to what my dad has he's content he's content whether he has a lot or he has a little whether he's brought high or brought low and the reason is because he knows jesus my dad loves jesus like crazy and it's interesting he doesn't just know jesus but but he knows what jesus has already given him and it's like everything in the world is just kind of like i don't know this doesn't doesn't really register on the scale anymore compared to what Jesus has already given me. And that's done. That's like finished, on the cross, paid for. Like I, I already have that. All, everything else is kind of meaningless compared to having Jesus. And, and you see the secret that Paul has of facing plenty and hunger the reason he can be content in every circumstance and situation is because he has this new strength, this new strength inside of him that's unaffected by the storms of life. And that strength, is, is, it is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it is right? He says, like, I, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? There's this scene in where, where Jesus is with his disciples on a boat, right? And they're, like, on the Sea of Galilee, and this huge storm comes in, and there's, like, this massive storm, and they're, like, freaking out. They're full of anxiety. They're terrified. They wake Jesus up, and he, he calms the storm, right? He's just, like, hey, stop. The storm stops, because Jesus Christ, the dude's pretty sick, and uh, he, like, stops the storm, and then everybody's, like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And he's just, like, hey, you, you have such little faith, like, And he's like, you have to understand, your life was no different at all during the storm and during the calm because I was in the boat the whole time with you. I was right next to you. And man, if if I'm with you, like, even though it feels kind of crazy out there, and honestly, it is kind of crazy sometimes, you're okay. See, Paul isn't talking about God giving us his power to become strong and capable win at the game of life. He's actually talking about the strength that comes to people when through relationship with jesus christ they've actually already received the very thing everyone else in the world is looking for because you see what a relationship with jesus does is it actually fills up that part of you that no matter how much you win at the game of life you can never figure out how to satisfy that thing that from the very beginning of our story that we lost and we haven't had access back to, that we have never been able to, be, to satisfy this thirst that we have, Jesus Christ came into the world to actually satisfy that part of you so that he could not just make you a little bit less discontent, but actually make you content. To actually give you a kind of peace that passes understanding. Because it doesn't have to do with your material situation or your relational situation or how well your job's going and if you feel like you're meaningfully impacting the world. But a peace that actually flows from the very core of who you are in him. And it's interesting, Paul, you know, when he found Jesus, he actually didn't, he wasn't experiencing a lot of scarcity in his life. He was actually a dude who was experiencing a bunch of blessings. And you know what a lot of people do is they look at Jesus or religion and they say, man, like this is something that's really helpful for people when they're at kind of like the bottom of the barrel, life's not going well, they're suffering a ton, and you kind of need this as like the opiate of the masses, like this band-aid, this philosophical band-aid to cover up that your life's not going all that well. But what's so interesting is that's not when Paul met Jesus. Paul met Jesus when his life was going very well. Everything about it had an upward trajectory, abundance, fullness, like the dude had it made, but then he meets Jesus Christ and he looks at every single thing in his life and he says, I will take the success, the money, the fame, all of it, I am gonna push it across the table and trade it for just one thing, Jesus. Because this is better. This is how he says it in Philippians 3, just a chapter earlier, he says, indeed, I count everything as loss, The things I thought were gain, I count them as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He's saying, man, I, I trade everything for this one thing, this one reality, to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Take the world, but give me Jesus. And what's so amazing is the reason he does this is because what Jesus Christ was doing on the cross was he was actually trading places with people like us who experience lives of scarcity in a world of scarcity. And he comes and actually trades places with us there in that wilderness, in that scarcity, so he can give us the thing we've wanted our whole lives overflowing joy of abundance of relationship with god jesus says the one thing that you can't find anywhere else in this world we are separated from god jesus christ comes from heaven to earth to give him back to us because that's the only thing that's ever going to satisfy us because it's the only thing we've actually been looking for our whole lives that's this really interesting um, like formula that i remember seeing when i was in college and it's it's really true we'll put it up here it just it just says that says jesus plus blank equals everything and, and it's a really interesting thing about because you can you could put anything you could conceive on that line and that's true so it's like jesus plus uh like poverty equals everything jesus plus divorce Equals everything Like Jesus plus suffering equals everything. Jesus plus a million dollars also equals everything. Because Jesus himself is like so valuable, so like so life-changing and transforming the story that we're in that's like whatever gets added or subtracted after that truth has like such a small impact it's just not a problem at all. Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus riches. Jesus plus poverty. It doesn't matter. Jesus is everything and if you have him there's actually an opportunity for you to be totally and completely content whether you are brought high or brought low and what's so awesome is this isn't just for paul like i love this this is this isn't just like for super christians like this this whole church in philippi is experiencing this this is their story because you see what happened with these Christians. This letter is it's a support letter, right? It's written to them because they've, they've been super generous with Paul and given him a bunch of resources and, and stuff. And it's interesting, they did this even though they don't have very much at all. Right? They, they aren't wealthy. They're actually facing persecution. We know that. They've actually suffered loss. The beginning of Philippians says that they're actually facing the same situation that Paul has, which means likely they're also like being thrown in prison. They're losing their houses. Like they're losing their freedoms. And so you would think that this group of normal Christians would be in like survival mode, Right? They're like, oh my gosh, like I am in a desperate place, and they hear about Paul, and you'd think they'd say, man, like we love you, Paul. Thanks so much for what you've done, but man, we need help too, and it's kind of every man for himself out there, and so we'll send you a little bit, but we just, we can't really give much because our world is scarce, and we are desperate. But that's not how they view themselves at all. They're like, that's not who we are. That's actually not the situation we find ourselves in. 2 Corinthians 8 is so cool. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth about this church in Philippi. And he's talking about what God's doing in their hearts. And this is what he says, 2 Corinthians 8. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that was given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, listen, their abundance of joy this thing that God's doing in them, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify beyond their means of their own accord, listen, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. You know who begs people to be able to give them money? Not people who feel like they don't have any. Not people who feel like they're in a scarce place in the wilderness. The people who beg people, can I just give? Can I support? Can I help? I want to be part of this. The only people who do that are people who are like, I am so overflowing with blessing in my life. My life is so overflowing with joy. I'm just like, here, have some of this. Have some of this. My life is amazing you can see what happens when you become a Christian. And this isn't something that just like happens like it happens immediately, but it takes time for us to get it and live it out. But what happens when you become a Christian is you actually get taken out of this world of scarcity and you get your feet planted in the kingdom of God. Where all of a sudden you're not in a world of scarcity anymore, but God has become your father. He's your king. He sees every single corner of your life. He knows every single need. And he is rich to provide for every single thing you could possibly need. And he's not just someone who can do it. Because he's your dad and he loves you. He's actually doing every single thing to bring you to your ultimate good. And this is how I want to end. I just just want to end like, what if, what if that's actually true? Like, What if it's actually true that it is impossible for you to be more loved and approved of than you are right in this moment? Like, You could not be more loved and approved than you are in this exact moment. It's actually impossible for you to gain a higher place of privilege or status in your life than the one you have right now, because the person you've been joined to by faith is the heir of heaven himself, Jesus Christ. What if that was true? And how would it change this restless need for approval that we feel as we walk out into the world? What if it's actually true that God is watching out for you in every single possible way? That he actually knows the exact number of hairs on your head because he's taken time to count them? What if he's actually attentive and he knows everything that you need and he actually has a plan for your life and at every single turn he's richly providing for you out of the riches of the glory that are his in Christ Jesus? And what if it's actually true that in your exact situation in life, you could not have anything change that would give you more meaning and purpose than you have right now? exactly as you live in your job and your family as you sit in your chair in your situation in life what if it was impossible for you to actually have more meaning and more purpose and more value and worth that even if you were put in prison you're cut off from friends or work and and you're like you get everything taken away from you what if actually you had so much value and purpose instilled in you because of christ jesus that even then you would have something meaningful to do Right, did you see how awesome it is at the very end there? He's like, hey, greet all, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Right? Paul's like, dude, I'm in prison. I'm still making Jesus look good. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm gonna te- you take everything from me, and I'm still going to tell someone about Jesus, even if it's the guard I'm strapped to. He's like, you can't steal my meaning and purpose from me. Take everything, but you can't take Jesus from me. Listen, I think that if we knew these things, Like I think if they became not secrets to us that we kind of know maybe theologically, but we actually like, we took them from like those kind of secrets and just began to actually live them out and really believe them. I think what we would experience is contentment. Like I think we'd actually become radically content people. And I want to pray that as we close this book of Philippians, that the Jesus Christ that Paul knew, that this church knew, that Jesus Christ who knows us and many of us know him. I want to pray that Jesus Christ would make us like that. So let's pray. Jesus, you're awesome. And God, I'm always so stunned. I feel like I wake up so many days and I just, I, I feel like this old muscle memory of feeling like desperate, needy, and thirsty, and I feel hungry for so much and then I'm just like reminded that, that, that you have chosen me and bought me with your blood. You've, you've won a different story for me and, and actually whether I'm high or low, I've been given all things from you and Jesus, that changes my story. It changes my life and God, I want to be someone who lives out of that place more often. God, I want to be like, I want to be like the Apostle Paul that's just sitting in prison and I, I, I feel like I can just see him and he the dude's just happy like he's not perfect he still wrestles with suffering and some disappointment but man like the center of his life is one of just pure joy and God I often live in my big house in Madison and I just feel I feel discontent because my eyes are not set on you they're set on things of this world God would you set our eyes on you would you make us truly content people because we're people who truly are centered on you. Would you do that in your name? Amen.